The weather now, fine and dry during the day with a high of about 25 degrees. The outlook windy this weekend, persistently fine and dry. Currently, it's 23 degrees and the humidity is 55%. The news from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. My co-presenter this morning is Philip Wong. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're looking at whether Hong Kong can become a cashless city. Mainland China is often cited as a prime example of how seemingly everything has moved to mobile payments. And cash there is fast becoming a thing of the past. Hong Kong's not quite there yet, but you can certainly see electronic payment systems in many shops, restaurants and even supermarkets, with many chains introducing cashierless self-checkout stations. The idea is simple, to cut labour costs and make things faster for customers. But overseas experience has shown this isn't always the case. Glitches are common and some customers say self-checkout stations are slow, unreliable and impersonal. So what do you think? Are electronic payments the way to go or will cash still retain a role? Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, where there's a lively debate going on. Or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. And after 9.45, we're going to find out about a new discovery for treating an eye condition that can lead to blindness. Our guests uh, initially, in uh, the main part of the show this morning, we have um, Professor Holok San, uh, Director of uh, the uh, Pan Su Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. Um, and we also have Ronson Chow. Ronson Chow is Head of Growth at Wonder. Wonder is a payments platform uh, headquartered in Hong Kong, an electronics pay- payments platform. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. Uh, um, Holok Sang, uh, maybe let's go to you first. Okay, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I mean, people often say they look at China these days and they look at Hong Kong and they say we're lagging behind. Fair, fair or not? Well, of course, uh, as far as this uh, development is concerned, of course, Hong Kong is lagging behind. But uh, in terms of uh, what uh, is best for Hong Kong, I think it's just uh, best for Hong Kong to take things at its own pace. You know, we we don't need to follow exactly, uh, you know, the steps that uh, is being followed in the uh, on the mainland, because um, everything should be, you know, we should respect diversity, and I think uh, in time, I think we're going to get there, but uh, there's no need to rush. And should we get there? I mean, that, that's a big question, right? Don't, is well, a, is a ca- cashless society actually actually something that we want to aim for? Uh, I, I think it's far better, you know, to, to, leave it, uh, to, to, to leave things to the natural propensities of uh, human interactions. You know, because uh, I think in time, if people find it uh, convenient and it's, uh, it's better, people will opt for it uh, more and more. And I think uh, actually over the years, we can see that there's an increase in the, in the share of, um, of uh, uh, digital payments. And I think that is uh, a natural development, but I think it's going to be a long drawn out process because uh, um, um, you know, some, some people still like uh, uh, to use cash. Uh, Mr. Ho. I think a lot of the people in Hong Kong, going cashless is great. I mean, I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, payments through cashless uh, yeah, right. already. But I think a lot of the people 
aren't even ready yet. So, like you said, exactly. it, 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 it needs time. We can't really rush it, can exactly. we? Exactly. We, we, we shouldn't rush, you know, because uh, uh, so, some people may not be so adept in using this uh, modern technology, and some people actually find it uh, uh, much better if they use uh, cash, you know. Uh, of course, there's uh, the, the fact of inertia, but also there's the... Uh, um, uh, the sense of being uh, better in command, you know, because if you if you have cash, it, uh, some some people feel it uh, better this way, you know, because I I, I have this cash and I can use it uh, the way I want, and uh, there's more um, involvement of myself in the process, and I'm in better control, you know, and and I think that was the. The feeling some people express, you know, overseas. I, 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 I thought uh, it was mentioned earlier on that uh, in some countries, uh, people, people have a sense that uh, uh, it's uh, the the cashless society is le- less personal and so on. Right? So, so why is there a push then? Is it is it because a little bit? I mean, many years back when we first started octopus payment. You know, we were on top of the world. We were leading the race in terms right, of right. going cashless. Is it, is it because now that we're lagging behind that, you know, there are people, like, pushing to go cashless? Well, I think uh, pushing in terms of pushing the technology to make it uh, more accessible uh, is a right way to go. But pushing people to use it, uh, uh, even though they uh, are still... Um, you know, mentally they're not so prepared. I, I think that's uh, too much. You see, uh, one is on demand side, one is on the uh, on supply side. On the supply side, I think it's uh, uh, a good thing, you know, for the people, um, you know, in charge of these technologies to uh, popularize it and, and uh, make it uh, more accessible. That's the supply side push. And then uh, there's the demand side. The demand side is a bit lagging behind. And as far as I can see, it's much better. You know, people will feel better if they uh, uh, think, do things at their own pace. So there's no need, to, you know, for the government to push uh, uh, people to use uh, uh, a particular form of payment platform. Okay, we're discussing when and whether Hong Kong will become a cashless society. You just heard Professor Holok Sang. If you've got any thoughts, uh, do uh, join the uh, lively debate on our, our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Uh, let me just bring in a couple of comments uh, there, and we'll, then we'll turn to our second guest. Uh, a couple of comments both in favour of cash. Uh, let's initially... Uh, um, uh, in fact, the comments do seem to be tending that way. Uh, Ke- Kevin Lewis uh, says um, points to a, um, a Facebook group actually called Keep Cash Worldwide and um, says this makes good reading, some strong opinions and I mostly agree with them um, and TC uh, looking to uh, to examples um, elsewhere in the world says for a technologically advanced country why hasn't Japan turned cashless decades ago when natural disaster strikes and there's no electricity and internet cash is the only way to function another reason why cash still has a place in society can be found in food courts of Chinese shopping malls in Vancouver and Toronto where cash is the only acceptable method of payment 
These transactions leave no receipt trails behind, thus allowing vendors to fudge the numbers for tax purposes. I think that's something that's often uh, discussed in terms of continuing to use cash. Okay, well, uh, let, let's bring in the second of our guests in, in, the, in the first part of the discussion, uh, Ronson Chow. Ronson Chow is head of growth at uh, Wonder. Wonder is a payments platform uh, uh, headquartered in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, Mr. Chow. Welcome to Backchat. Hello, thanks for having me. Well, I would imagine, given your business, you, you are all of, all in favor of a cashless society, surely? For sure, for sure. I think as a digital payments company, um, our vision is to enable all merchants and all consumers to um, you know, enjoy the benefits of digital payments. So um, I guess you can say I'm on the other side of the spectrum. <laughs> can you understand the arguments from those who say that we, we still need cash and that some people don't feel comfortable with electronic payment? Or do you think over time that's going to change? And if, I mean, that, that everybody's going to be comfortable with electronic payment? I feel like a big reason of, um, you know, maybe certain people are not comfortable with digital payments is the idea that it has data um, and the data is you know once you have the the payment is made the data is out there somewhere on the internet um, you know particularly in social media nowadays with so many data leaks and um, you know government having more control uh, over the daily lives of the uh, average person I think you know digital payments is something that's very sensitive um, to to most people, and that's some you know perhaps maybe people buying certain things they don't want um, their their banks to know about it. They don't want the card the schemes to know about it. They don't want the stores to know about it. So so I completely understand the the data end of things. And I think before you mentioned a point on um, fudging the numbers on tax, right? Um, you know, in 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 Hong Kong, very smaller food courts. Um, you know, uh, uh, the taxi industry. Uh, F&B suppliers, you know, many of these are very low margin industries and they survive by not paying a small commission to the card schemes. So therefore, um, you know, operating in cash makes economic sense for these, uh, for these guys as well as uh, from a data privacy sense. So I think I completely understand why cash is something that's pushed back by certain groups. Okay, uh, stay with us and uh, let's just go back to Professor Ho Lok Sang because um, Professor Ho has to uh, leave uh, fa fa fairly soon. Um, Professor Ho, in, in some other countries like India, they've actually banned uh, cash transactions um, above, or I think Italy uh, banned cash transactions among, above, above a certain amount and they've withdrawn higher value banknotes. I mean, is that something we should be thinking about in Hong Kong, facing out $1,000 notes? Well, um I think there's a reason why uh, some governments prefer uh, that uh, transactions be recorded, you know, because for tax purposes, you know, they don't want uh, any, uh, um, how I say, uh, kind of evasion, right? And um, so I understand that different uh, uh, stakeholders uh, have different perspectives. And I think uh, it's, uh, you know, the natural outcome of these interactions is uh, best. It's much uh, less desirable if uh, one side just wants us to, po to push its own agenda at the expense of other stakeholders' uh, views. And I think uh, uh, things will move that way, as far as I can see, you know, because uh, in time people will find it convenient. 
But uh, the uh, supplemented, you know, even though it may be the dominant, uh, it may be the dominant uh, um, way of transactions over the longer term, uh, having cash as a, uh, serving a supplementary role when the time is needed, I think is always necessary. So I, I don't think we should uh, ban any form of uh, uh, transactions. Um, um, you know, uh, that's my view. Do we even have to turn it the other way around? Do we? Because I mean, I think in China they had to pass a law finally to say that you must to force people to still accept cash. Do we have to? I mean, if merchants just start refusing to accept yeah. cash, uh, do we have to actually force them to do so to give people the choice? Or exactly, we- exactly. I, as I said, uh, um, from the government's point of view, having all transactions recorded, I think is is much better. You know, for for management purposes and for. Uh, banning evasion, you know, and and I think, uh, I mean, tax evasion. I think uh, tax evasion is very common uh, in some quarters, and it's understandable why they want to evade tax, right? And if there's the opportunity to have transactions uh, without uh, uh, any trace of uh, evidence, then, of course, uh, they prefer that. Right, so um, I so so I I, I understand the, uh, why some governments want to do that, uh, but um, as I maintained, uh, uh, some people um, are lagging behind in technology, and especially the older people, you know, who may not be so adept in using uh, modern technology, and additionally, uh, there's always the occasion that uh, cash may be needed, you know, under some um, circumstances like natural disasters and so on, right? Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Okay, uh, thank, that you. Was, thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was uh, Professor um, Ho Lok Sang from uh, the uh, Pan Sutong uh, Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. Uh, now, we have a caller, uh, <coughs> caller uh, AJ. Uh, AJ uh, I, I, welcome to Back Chat. Yes. Hi. Hello. Uh, well, good morning. Good morning. We can hear you. What's your views on uh, cashless society in Hong Kong? Will it work? Do you well, I, I think we should adopt an inclusive payment gateway for people that may have the cashless uh, machine or those who wish to pay cash. Because I think you know that when Hong Kong getting aging and aging, people at their higher senior age, they still believe that cash is the king, they want to pay cash and to have a tentative and tangible transaction. So I, I don't think that we should exclude or remove all the cash machine, but I just uh, encourage people to pay cashless. So I think it, we should have an inclusive payment gateway for the entire society in Hong Kong. Okay, sorry, I should introduce you uh, properly. Uh, that was, of course, uh, Timothy Ma. Timothy Ma yes, is uh, yes. Chief Consultant mm-hmm. at uh, NGO Consultant, uh, Mark M. Wan Co. Um, and welcome, welcome very much to Backchat. And you, uh, Mr. Ma, you're suggesting a uh, cautious approach, aren't you, as well? To, um, yes. 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 Um, mm-hmm. So do you think there will always be a role for cash? Well, still, I think at the, the end of the day, cash still one of the agreeable and also acceptable payment mechanism. So I don't think that we should remove all the cash, even though we think that uh, without cash it would be safe. I don't think so, because I think you all know about the internet achievement or cheating or even the fake or the other uh, issues that causing the insecure feeling 
by their people. So that I think we should adopt a parallel uh, emphasis on both cash and cashless. Uh, Mr. Chow, I think um, I, if we're looking long term, yeah. 10 to 20 years down the line, I think, uh, you know, e-payments and cashless will be dominant. But I mean, surely, do you agree the fact that, you know, cash still has a place even 10 to 20 years of- later? Yeah, I do be, I, I believe so because I think when we still have choices and also and as, as the former uh, uh, speaker said that even at the in the way of uh, disaster without any internet without any power supply you still need to have some transaction then cash is the only agreeable mechanism that we both trust that it can be well uh, be a very good way of a transaction. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're discussing transition to a uh, cashless society or whether we will have a transition to a cashless society. Um, and you just heard uh, Timothy Ma, who's the chief consultant at NGO consultant Markham Wa & Co. Uh, a lot of comments streaming in from listeners. So let, let me just bring in a few more comments on our uh, Facebook page and to tend to be against the idea of a cashless society. Um, uh, although not entirely. Alan says, the idea that the gov- is that the government can track every purchase, every trip and, every lo- and your location. They do most of that with CCTV and apps on your phone already but this adds another layer of surveillance um uh <laughs> howard says if supermarkets want their customers to use their self-service uh, uh checkouts they should at least offer a five percent discount on purchases now that i suppose would really <laughs> increase the number of people who be using the self-service checkouts um and then uh, steve says i oh, well i'm now in the united states the supermarkets offer both ways you have a choice not going to an extreme uh, man with cash or cashless or self-checkout with e-payment one more thing, a man cashiers would chat with you for a few words and say happy Thanksgiving. Of course, it's just Thanksgiving the other day. But of course, you don't yet have a uh, self-checkout doing that. Uh, okay, let's go back to uh, Ronson Chow. Ronson Chow is head of growth at uh, Wondo. is a, um, a payments platform uh, headquartered in Hong Kong. Um, uh, Mr. Chow, we're hearing a sort of a lot of doubts about cashless society here. Um, I mean, how can you reassure people? How about, about, about the big brother is watching you, that one of our um, <laughs> one of our listeners <laughs> yeah. Just worried about just now. Yeah. So, firstly, I think that like um, I really agree with the point of having a choice. Like, there are many industries in Hong Kong where you don't even have a choice of you know um, paying with cash or digital payment. And I think taxi is an excellent example of Hong Kong where you know there is zero choice effectively of e-payments and tourists coming to Hong Kong. You know, Hong Kong as an international city, you should be be able to pay with digital payment anywhere, right? Even though you can still pay with cash. So that actually damages like the international image of Hong Kong. So I'm of the view that, you know, not to say that we need 100% um, of the payments in Hong Kong to be completely cashless. I'm not that extreme on that front. But I think on all industries, there should be a choice of enabling digital payments because not everyone will have cash, right? Um, you know, uh, different segments of the society, uh, some people hold more cash. Some people only hold digital payments. Uh, for myself, I have like zero cash in my wallet. And so every time I go travel, I will have to rely either on my octopus or credit card. So I think a choice is very important. Um, the other thing is that I think for payment companies or banks or, or relevant institutions that deal with people's money, I think the appropriate um, regulation and uh, you know privacy policy is really important. Um, as a private institution, we have no obligation to, to give the data to the tax office. So your data is somewhere on the internet, but it's about whether people misuse it. It's about whether people, um, you know, look, just 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 hand it over um, to the government. I think I believe in Hong Kong as a 
city uh, governed by the rule of law. Um, no, there is there. there are, I believe that there, there's not. It's not like an authoritarian uh, country where you know the, the 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 state can order the companies do whatever they want. I think um, uh, respecting the privacy of the merchants and consumers is very important, and that that's something that we 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 care a lot about at Wonder. Now, uh, Ronson, I'm just thinking about because um, we were talking, you were just talking about taxis, and I'm thinking about, you know, um, for argument's sake, really, you know, for, for for taxi drivers, a lot a lot of them they prefer cash simply because one, um, they get the, ca- the the money right away, and there's no processing time, and two, there's also a transaction fee by going cashless. So, you know, what are the things that you would say to them to actually encourage them to use um, cashless? So there's a very interesting solution at Wonder, right? Uh, effectively, uh, in, especially in, in payments world, a lot of times it's delayed payments. It's T plus three, T plus four. You get your money <coughs> a few days later. So, for example, the way that we do it is that we enable T plus zero payments. We, we can pre-fund the merchant, uh, which is the taxi driver, the, uh, where at the moment that the digital payment is processed. So it has the, uh, the cash the, the, the speed of cash because you receive it instantly in your account. The other thing is commission fees, right? Um, at the moment, uh, obviously, if you're processing credit cards or a debit card, um, that, that's going to have some processing fees. But for a taxi driver, for example, um, they care a lot about receiving 100% of their uh, of the bill. And so, therefore, for us, we pass the commission on to the consumer, giving them a choice of if you want digital payments, you got to pay just a little bit more than the original bill. But otherwise, you can always pay cash. So I think those two things help alleviate some of the concerns for taxi drivers. Okay, uh, the comments are continuing to stream in, and we've had, I've read out a lot of comments from listeners who are actually against uh, or very cautious about cashless society. So let's just try and uh, um, balance things a bit with a comment from Ilna on the, in the opposite direction. Ilna says, I'm proud to say that I am a committed advocate of going cashless. Carrying physical currency is not something I bother with anymore, as I prefer to rely on convenient cashless payment methods through my mobile phone. So I'm disappointed when I come across businesses that strictly adhere to a cash-only policy and refuse to accept mobile payments. Such establishments do not align with my cashless lifestyle and I find it challenging to support them. When it comes to supermarkets like Marketplace, I personally opt for man caches over self-checkout systems. I find the human interaction provided by man caches offers greater efficiency and faster issue resolution. Whenever any complications arise, they can be addressed promptly on the spot. I chose not to take local taxis due to their lack of acceptance of mobile payments, among other reasons. I've repeatedly expressed my concerns and suggestions regarding the implementation of electronic payment methods, particularly during the pandemic, when purchasing MTR frequent user passes such as City Saver. Regrettably, my efforts have been in vain, as the MTRC continues to operate customer service centres that solely accept cash. Despite the efforts of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority to encourage cashless transactions, the MTR has chosen not to follow suit obliging passengers to carry cash for ticket purchases. I recall an instant when I wanted to purchase a ticket for visiting friend and I spent nearly 10 to 15 minutes uh, struggling with a ticket machine that would not accept uh, credit cards. As a Hong Kong resident, I have always relied on my Optimus card. But this experience makes me realize the difficulties faced by tourists trying to navigate the city without cash. 
Therefore, it's evident that Hong Kong still has a long way to go before becoming a fully cashless society, and more efforts need to be made to facilitate this transformation. Uh, thank you very much, Ilna. Um, we're coming up to, to, we're going to be taking a break shortly for the news, but just before that, let, let's go back to uh, Timothy Ma. Uh, Timothy Ma, I wonder if you have any comments on what you've been hearing from our listeners. Well, I think the former uh, person who expressed and expected that Hong Kong to be 100% cashless, I, I don't think that he, she really knows about the different ages people, different category of people that they may have difficulty or even have the trust issue on cashless. So I think, as mentioned, that we should be inclusive. That means we offer choices and we respect the decision and should not... Uh, foster any so-called penalty or forces to uh, even stigmatize that those who are not using the cashless as that old-fashioned. I don't think it's not, not nothing related with old-fashioned and new-fashioned. It's only a matter of respect and also inclusion. Thank you. Okay, and you don't think that we should have legislation forcing uh, merchants to uh, accept cash? I don't, think, I don't think we need to have this type of legislation because I think it, as an open society, we should be inclusive and respect all the choices that people are legitimate and, and approved in Hong Kong. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much, Timothy. Please do stay with us because we're going to continue this uh, discussion after the news. And uh, Ronson Chow is also still with us. Uh, so uh, we can discuss. If you have any thoughts on this topic, a lot of listeners do have thoughts on this topic. Uh, you are most welcome to email us at backchat at rthk.hk or go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and uh, leave a comment there. Later on in the show, we're also going to be talking about a, uh, a new treatment um, or new discovery over treating a uh, eye condition that affects a significant number of Hong Kong people. Uh, the uh, weather forecast is going to be fine and dry. Uh, the maximum temperature is going to rise to around uh, 25 degrees. The outlook is going to be windy during the weekend, uh, but it's going to remain dry, which is good news at least. Currently, 23 degrees, relative humidity, 53%. It's 9.30. Here's Carol Musgrove with the news. The hospital authority says it will incorporate artificial intelligence into its antibiotic prescription optimization program starting from January next year. That's part of its efforts to curb the spread of drug-resistant pathogens. The authority's chief infection control officer, Raymond Lai, said there's been an uptick in infections caused by those pathogens. Qatar says it hopes to turn the first break in the fighting in Gaza, which is due to begin later today, into a permanent truce. The Gulf state has helped broker a deal between Israel and Hamas which will see a four-day pause in the conflict. It's due to come into effect at 1pm Hong Kong time. Riot police in the Irish capital Dublin have clashed with crowds of protesters near the scene of a multiple stabbing that took place hours earlier. A police car was set on fire and other vehicles were damaged. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. The Labour Department is holding the Turning a New Page Job Fair at the North Point Community Hall on November 27th and 28th. Around 50 employers will offer a wide range of job vacancies and accept applications on the spot. Please visit the Labour Department website at jobs.gov.hk or call 2153 3985 for details. The Chief Executive's 2023 policy address seeks to enhance the growth impetus of our economy and our well-being. We will press ahead with major infrastructure projects and different industries, attract top-notch enterprises and talent, develop Hong Kong as an international hub for higher education and cultivate local technical professionals. We will promote childbearing and take good care of the elderly. We will protect our health and build our home together. 
a vibrant economy for a caring community. This policy address belongs to each of us. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Uh, my guest, uh, guest presenter this morning is Philip Wong. In the second half of the show, we're going to be uh, continuing our discussion uh, initially about how far um, Hong Kong has um, gone towards moving towards a, a cashless society. Uh, but later on, um, we'll also be finding out about a new discovery over treating a, an eye condition in, in Hong Kong. Uh, if you have any thoughts, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio and free leave a comment there. A lot of, there's obviously a topic that affects all of us. A lot of comments coming in from listeners. Let me just try and get through a selection and please uh, bear with me if sometimes if I have to pause going between the individual messages coming in. Uh, an email from Rick says that once cash has gone, which it will, has anyone thought this through further? Pay for a flight? The computer says, no, you've used your carbon footprint for this month. Beefsteak? No, you've consumed too much meat. On the positive side, if you buy cigarettes or alcohol, it will say, no, you're bad for your health. Uh, equally, we have uh, a comment from uh, uh, Anthony saying, in Hong Kong, the local markets, small local shops and street stores stick to cash. But they will gradually adapt as customers will cease to carry cash and electronic payment systems will improve. But the big change needs to be made with the taxi trade, where many of the drivers are disgraced with their stubborn old-fashioned methods. And all should be required to offer octopus or card payments. No wonder Uber has been such a success, referring to your recent uh, backchat discussions. Uh, that comment from Anthony. Uh, and we also have a rather different experience uh, from, uh, from uh, Brett. Uh, Brett says that the last two times I went to public hospital, I was refused treatment as I only had cash. The first time, the chauffeur was unable to point to any notice informing Hong Kong people that Hong Kong money is no longer accepted by a government or related department. And in the end, I prevailed and paid cash. Uh, the second time, there was still no notice I could see anywhere informing Hong Kong people that Hong Kong money is no longer accepted. Thankfully, there was no payment required this time. The additional chauffeur's office staff who deal with the e-payment um, kiosk weren't having it that day. Apparently, the hospital authority will accept cash payment, but you must go to one specific shop's office, which, of course, is nowhere near the existing shop's office on every floor of every block of the hospital. Someone please tell me what so-called international financial centre is trying to stamp out the use of cash like Hong Rong, it seems, intent on doing. Just what problem is this solution trying to solve? Uh, that's from uh, Brett. And we also have on the cashless society, uh, we have uh, Chi says, it's the cashless society's the way of a future without a doubt. Just think of the time people spend in the handling of cash in shops, banks, all these will, time will be saved for other productive um, activities or simply leisure. Also, many illicit activities conducted in cash will become more difficult. As for pace, the sooner the better. Senior citizens in particular should be helped to go cashless. China has done that. They're clearly more stubborn or elderly people on the mainland. That's from Chi. And just maybe just one more comment at the moment from listener. Ajit on Facebook says, taxis don't want to accept cash because they'll lose the tips when passengers round off the amounts. Thank you very much to all our listeners. A very lively debate going on there. Uh, let's return to our guests. Uh, I guess we continue the discussion still with us. Uh, Timothy Ma, who's chief consultant yeah. at NGO <laughs> Consultancy, and Mark Ma Kam Wa, and the Ronson Chow head of growth at uh, Wonder. Now, um, Mr. Timothy Ma, sorry, I, I do have a question for you um, in regards yes. to as we go cashless, I think that's inve inevitable, right? You know, you know, many years down the line, it'll be cash more and more cashless. Um, but as we go cashless, a lot of the times it's also um, self-checkout as well. 
um, you see it now in supermarkets. Are you kind of concerned as we go cashless that that means you know people losing their jobs or people finding it harder to find jobs? Well, I think if uh, the supermarket have uh, a system assigned to help the people who are not getting used to paperless or cashless, then it will be helpful, and then it will not mean that people will be fired due to the cashless uh, approach. And because I think still the society is very diversified. People are diversified. They have different level of understanding and also the skill and technique to use the cashless machine. So you can see that all the way at the supermarket when they have the machine, there are some people queuing up but not knowing how to touch a button or how to make the arrangement. So if they still keep their staff to help to serve as an assistant or ambassador, then it will be very helpful. So to me, I don't think I'm not I'm not worrying about the unemployment after the uh, uh, implementation of the cashless. But I think that we should have the better use of manpower resources to serve those people who are not uh, knowledgeable or know how to adopt the cashless machine. Yeah. Let's go back to Ronson Chow, uh, head of Grofer Wonder, who uh, it would be, uh, if I understand uh, your company's model correctly, you, you are at the forefront, really, of trying to encourage uh, more businesses to go cashless, isn't it? Your your company is trying to provide um, e-solutions for, for payments by merchants. Um, I, I, I read a uh, survey that uh, said that actually 16% of small businesses said they will never make the shift to um, uh, primarily digital payments. Do you... Do you run into a lot of resistance among some merchants who really don't want to switch digital, uh, Ronson Chow? Yeah, so we, we absolutely do. And usually the 16% uh, refers to very low margin businesses. You know, of 100% of the revenue, they might make only like 5% of the revenue, right, in terms of the profit margin. So they're already, you know, it's just, you know the rent, the high salaries in Hong Kong are all squeezing the margin. So they are, they, they receiving cash is, one of the ways for them to continue to survive because they can save on tax, they can save on um, the commission fees on digital payments. But these are not necessarily our target market. Our target market would be the merchants that have a more diverse uh, consumer base that would have cash, that might have digital payments, um, and, 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 and that might have octopus and so on and so forth. So, so that way, you know, there are less selling. We, we, we want to sell a solution to merchants that want to switch, right? The other, uh, you know, 84% of merchants that, that require digital payments to actually function properly as a business. Now, uh, Ronson, um, I'm uh, actually, you know, for uh, cashless. I use it all the time. And, you know, whenever I have the option, I, I'll use it. But I'm just looking what the next step is for cashless. I think one of the emails um, earlier alluded to it. You know, it would be amazing if, for example, you know, a Friday night I'm drinking and suddenly I try to pay and then <laughs> the app says, computer says, no, you're drunk. <laughs> or you're, you're, you're Are you saying amazing in a good sense or a bad sense here? In a good sense. In a good sense, I would say. I mean, do you, do you, do you see anything where, you know, this cashless payment gets integrated with AI in the sense that, you know, it allows the user to kind of control their spending and for, for the suddenly cashless system says, oh, no, you're, you're spending too much. 
I, I, I actually do not believe in anything like that because I think that, like, you know, we can all speculate on the possibility of payment data and how that could be used to track everyone and, you know, control everyone's spending. But there's a lot of layers in digital payments. And it's not, it's not that simple to just slap on an AI and, and, and track people's payments and be like, oh, you drank, you know, five bottles of wine and therefore you cannot drink anymore. Like, it's completely different. And I think, you know, Hong Kong, again, as I said before, is a country governed by the rule of law. Um, you know, if, if someone even says something like that, I'm sure there will be legislative um, debate. There will be, you know, a community debate. You know, people will get involved on something like that. And I highly, 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 highly doubt, you know, there will be any, uh, you know, that kind of regulation would come in anytime soon. So I think we should separate, uh, you know, the idea of just enabling, you know, uh, simple payments for the everyday person. Uh, not everyone has cash. And on the other, on the other hand, on regulation. Okay, uh, we had just a slight, a slight interference in the background here. Uh, can we uh, go back to uh, uh, Timothy Ma? Timothy Ma, you saw us? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. Excuse me? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what, what, how about this uh, issue of Big Brother is watching you in terms of cashless payments? How, how, uh, how much is that, that a concern? Well, I don't think that uh, even you are being watched when you're doing the payment because I think they will feel that thankfully that they know how to use and, uh, and it should be an encouragement for them to adopt the easiest or newest uh, cashless payment. But I think we still should give them some incentive. As you mentioned, or some people suggest, if you use the cashless payment, can there be a, a, a maybe a certain percent of this discount? And, and I think this can still we need to some have uh, attraction for the non cashless payer to get into this uh, journey. But I think I still think that we should offer open opportunity for them to make the choice, but not by legislation. And how yeah. about this issue of taxes, which um, <clears throat> whenever, whenever we debate this topic, or indeed actually when we debate taxes, it, it, it always comes up. I mean, taxes are one of sort of the most visible. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think for taxi, that's like... Uh, family section. You know that some of the doctors and taxi, they refuse to use uh, cash. Why? No, they refuse to use the uh, credit card or cashers because they don't want to be get in the trouble of uh, letting people know how much they have. And then the Indian Revenue Department will come to them for the uh, salary tax or profit tax. So I think they have their concern, but I respect their concern, but I still there should be some discussion on how to encourage the uh, taxi driver to uh, enjoy the benefit of cashless. But their concern is essentially about avoiding paying tax, which they should do by law. So shouldn't, isn't there an argument that um, uh, if, if you're not paying tax, you are breaking the law there, aren't you? So isn't there an argument well, that we should... I, I think it's not talking about law here, because I think it's talking about how the government is going to uh, encourage the proper record of your transaction. And, and it should not only apply to taxi driver or other people. There are so many professions, careers, they don't prefer cashless. They prefer cash, uh, maybe due to various reasons. But for me, I don't want to guess why they do this. But I think we still should offer an open choices for the people that to make their decisions.
Okay, we're coming close to the end of the discussion, but let's go back to uh, Ronson Chow. And Ronson Chow, you were talking earlier about, because uh, you're in the line, of course, of encouraging businesses to, um, uh, to, um, to use e-payment solutions and the resistance you get from some merchants. You say they tend to be merchants with uh, very low margins. Um, and then you did briefly refer yeah. to this issue of commission fee. Commission fees is, is, is a big issue, isn't it? I mean, uh, taking cash is, um, you're not, I know you maybe have to take it to the bank, maybe you're not paying any commission on that. That, but even credit card—I mean, credit card—can't they? Credit card uh, transaction fees can be up to five percent or so for small merchants. Um, you, you, you uh, businesses can lose quite a bit of their money in this way. For sure, for sure. I think, like, firstly, um, in terms of uh, there are two sides to commissions. There's the merchant side and the consumer side. For most of the merchants, it really depends on what industry it is. For example, if you're talking about restaurants, right? It's you know around like 1.5% or so in terms of commission rates. And, 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 and that really isn't that much in terms of the overall margin. So I feel like there are a little bit less excuses on the restaurant front on using it. But if, there, if, if you're talking, if you're talking about... There's some interference in the back. Um, yeah, so but, sorry, can we uh, cut the other caller maybe, uh, the other line, the other guest line? Uh, yes, please continue, so, Ms. Smith. So, so, so if... Let's just say you're talking about, you know, other industries. I don't know, for example, retail, your, your commission can go up to 2 to 3%. So I understand that for those industries, maybe, uh, you know, uh, the margin is of a higher concern. So I think it really depends on industries. I think for industries that already have what we call special merchant category code in payments, I feel like those have little... Um, excuse in terms of switching to digital payments because it's another method. You don't have to use it. It's just another channel for you. And it's also very low commission fees. But for the ones that are higher commission, I, I get that there might be some pushback. On the consumer side, for, for a lot of the um, uh, 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 credit cards, you actually get cash back. So you use it, you know, X amount, you actually get like 2 or 3% back. You actually save money that way. So I think that alludes to the other point of uh, discounts on using e-payment. So I think that's all I have to say on that matter. Now, Ronson, just one very last and quick question from my, from me. Uh, what about for students, though? You know, students, and particularly in secondary school, because I can imagine most of them won't have credit cards. Yeah, so I think, like, for, for, for students, firstly, an octopus is already one form of digital payment. Mm-hmm. But the other way with credit cards and debit cards, there are lots of actually, you know, student um, orientated uh, uh, credit card institutions. You don't have to get a credit card from a bank. There are, you know, uh, you know, uh, institutions such as UA Finance or SIM credit card. Like th- those ones are more un- university focused. So there's always a player out there trying to serve different segments. It's just a matter of whether the consumer, you know, does a Google search or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much indeed. Uh, that was uh, Ronson Chow, uh, head of growth at uh, Wonder, and also uh, with us in uh, the as we continue the discussion in the second half of the show. There was uh, uh, Timothy Ma, uh, chief consultant at uh, NGO consultancy uh, Mark Amwa and Co. And of course, thank you to all the listeners who um, emailed or went to our Facebook page with your comments on the cashless society in Hong Kong. Stay with us. <laughs> 25 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always fill with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
Welcome back. In the uh, closing segment of the uh, show this morning, we're going to talk about what looks like an important new discovery over treating an eye condition in Hong Kong. That eye condition is called uh, uvitis. And, uh, of course, uh, many people in Hong Kong, sadly, uh, suffer from bad eyesight in uh, in one one way or another. And perhaps we can talk about some of the the broader issues in a bit. But uh, first of all, let's talk about a uh, discovery by uh, Chinese university researchers. Uh, They found a uh, drug which they say uh, can treat uh, chronic inflammatory disorders. Um, uh, much better than uh, steroids that have existing been used for treating um, uh, uvitis. Uh, uh, one of the uh, lead, lead at Chinese U in this discovery is Dr. Chu Wei Kit. Dr. Chu Wei Kit is a research assistant professor at the uh, Department of Pharmacology and Visual Sciences at Chinese University in Hong Kong, and he joins us in the studio this morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for coming in. Welcome to Back Chat. Yep. Good morning. Uh, maybe uh, for a listener, I mean, of course, this is very your your this is this is your area. You're very, very familiar with it. But for listeners who won't uh, necessarily know, maybe you can start by describing this condition of um, of uvitis, which is one of a number of ailments that people can have affecting their eyes. I understand there can be more, what, more than ten thousand people in Hong Kong who suffer from this. Mm. What exactly is it? Yes, uh, uvitis is an eye disease that would affect uh, uh, a layer of your eye tissue underneath the retina. Uh, so that is a layer that would deliver the blood and oxygen to the eye tissues. So uh, uh, simply speaking, that is, uh, we can just call it eye inflammation. So this is an inflammatory disease, and uh, the causes uh, we can separate into two classes. One is infection, the other one is kind of autoimmune. That means the patients, their own immune system has uh, have problems, so that would cause the autoimmune eye inflammation or uveitis, we can say. And it's serious. If it's not treated, you can go blind, right? Yes. Uh, if not treated, it can go blind. It's also permanently blind. Okay. So this is, and I, I think I saw a figure saying maybe that uh, 10,000 people are so in Hong Kong. Yes. Uh, because we have the figures from China, let's say like uh, per 100,000 people, there are around 150 patients. Ah, okay. So if we take that estimate and put in Hong Kong, there may be around more than 10,000 patients in Hong Kong. So that's an estimate, but a reasonable estimate, right? Yes. Um, and then traditionally, this has been treated with steroids, which can tend to have side effects, right? Yes. Now the first-line treatment is steroid right? Because the autoimmune eye uh, inflammation, uh, that is the, because the, the uh, immune system is too active. So we use the steroid to suppress it. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of side effects. For example, like there would be a lot of toxicity uh, to other parts of the body. And also, like within the eye, the, the pressure inside the eye uh, would increase if we use steroids. That could be quite dangerous, surely. Yes, because the high pressure in the eye would, uh, would cause other eye diseases, like, like glaucoma is a neuro disease, also permanent blind. Okay, so tell us about your discovery about what's basically a better way of treating this disease. Uh, yeah, we, we study, we focus on a signaling pathway called growth hormone releasing hormone pathway, or simply speaking, it's GHRH pathway. So we found that like, if, we, if we suppress this pathway uh, by using drugs or using like genetic uh, modification, we can suppress the disease uh, uveitis in animal models. And then by studying this pathway, we found inside the pathway, there's a one specific target. We call that a STAT-JAK pathway. And this JAK, we have an inhibitor already in clinical use. So we expect that this JAK inhibitor can also suppress the uveitis, the eye inflammation. So the great thing about this, you're not involving any new drug, right? You're just using drugs that already exist, right? Which perhaps nobody had thought before about using this in context. Is that right? Yeah, um, um, this drug currently is used to treat other diseases. For example, the uh, arthritis 
or others like skin uh, inflammation. So um, now we try to switch it and use it for eye inflammation. So this is because it's already in clinical use. So we know the safety mm. profile. We know uh, the dosage. So expect that like we can use it maybe uh, developing more faster than a completely new drug uh, development. So what what does this mean though? Does it mean that you know patients or doctors can describe this particular medicine for uveitis already, or does it mean that it requires a little bit more testing and maybe not as much um, uh, regulations or th- th- uh, regulations, or is it just less? Uh, uh, now we we still do more, uh, still need to do more research on the try to use it for uh, eye inflammation patients. Uh, so now we expect that we to recruit some patients maybe within the next two three years recruit around a small group like. 50 patients, then we can test the, the effect, uh, effectiveness of this new drug in treating eye inflammation. But it's still a period of two to three years. So, I mean, is that like a normal time to, to Yes, it's, it's kind of normal. I, I would say it's relatively fast than developing a new drug, completely new drug. Because as I said, we already know the safety profile. We can start using it in human and, and the, the other uh, ethical or, or, or applications will be faster. And just to talk a little bit more about uh, uveitis in general, so because you mentioned two ways. Uh, one is getting it through infection, so I guess it was like pathogens or like you know, bacteria, viruses. But what about autoimmune? Is that like kind of like genetics? And if so, like, you know, what, do, you, do we know the percentage of that, you know? Um, uh, so, so the exact cause of autoimmune eye disease is, is still unknown. Like, that's why we still do a lot of research on it. Mm. Uh, but we know that, like, for example, this uh, uveitis mainly is the immune cells, like the white blood cells. For example, there are T cells in, in it. And we know that there are uh, some very specific subtypes of the T cell that would lead to this uh, autoimmune eye inflammation. Okay, and just pointing out to that, I mean, this, this is... Uh this is a very, very exciting opportunity and for treating one particular um, eye problem. But more generally, just how, how common are eyesight problems among Hong Kong's population? And what kind of percentage of Hong Kong's population do you think um, grapples with eye problems? I think it's uh, quite common. Like uh, there are uh, varieties of different eye diseases. For example, like one is uh, very common is short-sightedness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call myopia. That is very common. I, I guess if you walk on the street, you see many people putting on glasses. Yeah, so uh, short-sightedness is a serious eye disease, and that would lead to other uh, blinding diseases oh, really? later. So, yeah. I mean, you think about short-sightedness um, or long-sightedness, for that matter. You, of course, you, you, you don't like it, but you, you don't think it's, um, it's not so serious in the way compared to uveitis. Um, but you're saying it can be, right? It, it can be, because from our study, we have data. We know that because this short-sightedness uh, usually start uh, from the, the, the young age, children. But when these children get older, uh, the, the, the chances, the, the risk to have these eye, uh, blinding eye diseases, for example, like glaucoma or retinal degeneration, will be much, much higher. And diseases like glaucoma are a lot more common than uveitis, right? Isn't glaucoma one of the most common? Or uh, it, it is also common in Hong Kong, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there's been a lot of suggestions in recent years that eyesight has got worse, particularly during the pandemic and everybody working from home and looking at um, uh, computers. Is, is that just uh, popular folklore or do you think there's some real... No, no, no. I, it is true. Like we, we have data, we have studies to compare trojans because they, they stay at home, like, uh, like uh, going to, to the classes online, they use a lot of uh, phone or, or iPads. And then they, we know that the, the eyesight, for example, short sightedness is uh, much worse than before the pandemic. So myopia is actually a very common case and it starts quite early quite young so for the parents you know what should they do for the children any ways to for them to like prevent myopia or to reduce the chances of getting myopia uh, now we have actually a research program we try to prescribe some uh, atropine eye drops 
that we know that uh, now we have research data, published data that can uh, prevent or even slow down the progression of myopia. I, I mean, we're brought in our discussion a bit here, but I mean, I think a lot of our listeners and parents, especially, be very interested in this. What is the for parents? What is the most dangerous age with their children? I mean, I, 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 I you mean yeah. uh, myopia? Yeah. Yes. Uh, usually, I, I think like from four years old until the teenage, I think it's the most uh, rapidly progressing age for the myopia. There's something, I mean, I went through this with my own children. There's something about when they get to the teenage, right? If the eyesight hasn't deteriorated um, seriously by then, you can relax a little bit, right? It- yes, because by that time, that usually because the myopia is because the, the eyeball, the length of the eyeball is getting too long. So uh, 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 after teenage, so it seems that the growth of the eyeball is more stable. So it's really parents need to watch their children very close and then keep them off the iPads or yes. everywhere. They, they're always saying to me, right, they shouldn't be reading on screens so when there's no light and things like that, right, from the age of 4 to 12 or 13 or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we also we have some other research that we know uh, outdoor activity is, is uh, good protective uh, against myopia. Speaking of research, you know, after researching, you know, what you found in regards to uvitis, what's the next research that you're looking into? Um, in the, like, as I said, like, in, in terms of clinical research, we try to recruit patients to test this new JAK inhibitor in, in the specific uh, patients. But I mean, like, what's the, what, what's the next new research that you're looking at? The next breakthrough, maybe. Yeah, next breakthrough. Yeah. Next breakthrough. Like, uh, as I said, like, now, currently, still unknown about the causes of, uh, of the autoimmune vitus. Oh, we course. try to study why some patients... Uh, the immune system is too active, and and then this is our next direction. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's a, you you found the cure, or uh, you found a way a new treatment for this. But of course, you still don't know how, or at least how some patients catch this disease, right? And that's the, yes. if you can find that out, then presumably that makes it um, much easier to, to stop people. Um, getting this condition in the first place. Yes, correct, yes. Yes. I'm still thinking about what you, you said earlier about how you here you've basically found a drug that already exists and you're applying it to a um, um, you're applying it to a new use and it has all kinds of advantages, as you said, right? Because it's had clinical tests already and so on. I mean, most of the time when we hear about new medical discoveries, uh, they involve new treatments and new drugs. I mean, it, how common is this that uh, drugs can essentially be reprovisioned uh, existing drugs to a new use? I, I think it depends on how we see that we study the mechanism of the disease and just by chance we, we know there's already some existing drugs that can target it. At the same time, that of course, we, we also try to identify some other new compounds or new drugs uh, to treat different eye diseases as well. well what I'm really wa- wondering is how many more other um, uh, conditions are there out there that can actually be treated and maybe not even just in, not, not even in your field, but more generally, that can be treated by existing drugs that nobody has um, thought of before, almost requires a bit of lateral thinking perhaps. I think like, uh, like there are maybe not the majority, like there's still some other eye diseases or even other diseases some that, that can be treated by existing drugs. We're just talking about, you know, um, young people getting uh, myopia. But what about as you age, <laughs> when you turn 40 or 50? What are the, um, I guess, more common eye diseases that we should be, you know, concerned about? I think it depends on, like, because it, uh, age is a high risk factor for mm. uh, some retinal diseases. Uh, for example, like macular degeneration. Like, the, the age is the, is the number one risk factor. So, uh so yeah, and and usually like patients, they, they the vision or the visual field, the area they can see would be restricted. So uh, um, I think also like because there, there's some uh, elements of the genetic factors and also lifestyle. So uh, so patients or people when they get older, like um, they they should uh, have the regular eye checkup.
Mm. Okay, so it's basically about young and old people, isn't it? Yes. That those are the two ages really to watch out for, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, congratulations. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Chu Wei Kit. Uh, congratulations on finding an uh, existing drug that can be used to treat uh, a new condition. Uh, Dr. Chu Wei Kit, uh, a research professor, assistant professor at the Department of Pharmacology and Visual Sciences at Chinese University of Hong Kong, uh, joining us this morning in the studio. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you to my um, uh, guest presenter, uh, Philip Wong. Uh, Backchat will be back on uh, Monday uh, with uh, Jim Gould and uh, Mike Rouse will be in the chair so do join us again for a back chat on Monday.